Hello, this is Dr. Dan Guerra coming to you from Authentic Biochemistry Studios. Today is the 4th of February, 2022, and I want to make a, a special announcement that this is my mother's birthday, and I'm just really glad that she is having a good time today, and um, happy birthday, Mom. So today, I'm going to do part two of our discussion of fatty acid metabolism, particularly we talked about desaturation last time. We're not going to do too much more on that mechanism, but we're going to get ourselves involved in um, one of the potential health risks of obesity, which of course is linked directly to triacylglycerol uh, and the fatty acids that are associated with that neutral lipid. So, that's what we're going to do today. And like I said, we're going to make this an arc of several lectures. So if you like lipids, you will like what we're talking about. Now, last time I told you that the accumulation of very long chain polyunsaturated or even saturated fatty acids in non-adipose cells, such as the liver, lung, the central nervous system, the cardiac muscle, um, any endothelial cell layer, all of those regions can uh, be negatively impacted by an increase in free fatty acid. The simplest way to explain it is that free fatty acid, if it's not esterified as an oxygen ester, for example, or as a nitrogen uh, amide linkage to the carbonyl group, um, will cause membranes to dissociate. So the long chain aliphatic hydrocarbon, even with just a carbo carboxylic acid, which of course wouldn't be protonated at the pH we're talking about in the physiological sense, what you're going to get there is a dislocation of membrane topodynamics. And what that can lead to, of course, is leaky membranes, as well as an uncoupling of voltage-gated channels and the movement and therefore communication in and out of the cell. This is all now talking about the plasma membrane. Other membranes within the cell likewise can be compromised by free fatty acid. Typically, fatty acids are sterified um, very often to coenzyme A, which is, of course, a thioester, and also, as I said, very, very often as an oxygen ester uh, or is amide-linked fatty acid. And when it's like that, when it's bound in those particular forms, the fatty acid is not directly um, detrimental to membrane fluid dynamics. But when you have a free fatty acid, this is what can corrupt the bilayer or the hex-2 phase or the unilamellar association that can sometimes be found in endosomal compartments or in phagolysosomes depending on the phospholipid molecular species. And when this happens, you get a disruption of everything because the membrane essentially has to be intact and has to have high integrity for the cell to function appropriately. Otherwise, your cell will go directly into cell death. Right? And there's multiple, of course, uh, mechanisms for cell death. So again, that all dis discusses toward this process of lipotoxicity. And that leads again to 
many metabolic consequences, <clears throat> including, um, but not limited to, um, mitochondrial um, degradation, peroxisomal degradation, and endoplasmic reticulum SOS response, which is the unfolded protein response, which can corrupt all of glycoprotein biosynthesis and therefore membrane uh, proteins that are normally involved in signal transduction cascades. So you get the idea of how dangerous. And in, in a larger scale, lipotoxicity can be directly linked to insulin resistance, thus being co-occurring with type 2 diabetes. Right? All right. So there's been a lot of work done that shows that chronic inflammation is very common uh, in obesity. We've talked about this multiple times here at Authentic Biochemistry. And when we say chronic inflammation, we mean, of course, a hyperinflammatory response, not necessarily associated with an infection, in fact, often not. And that inflammation is triggered by eicosanoids, which are oxygenated fatty acids, reactive oxygen itself, which can be um, enhanced in production because of a limitation of electron transport chains, for example, in the mitochondria membrane, the intermitochondrial membrane in particular, but also due to the overproduction and lack of regulatory mechanisms to stop pro-inflammatory cytokine transcription, translation, and secretion going through the ER, Golgi, and plasma membrane uh, secretory process. So pro-inflammatory cytokines. Now, one of the ones that we talk about uh, is interleukin-1, 1-beta, and also interleukin-2, although that has a regulatory role, as you might recall, as being associated with triggering the T regulatory cell response, thus limiting some hyperinflammatory systems. But another key pro-inflammatory cytokine, which does not have so much a regulatory or growth control function, is IL-6, interleukin-6. You also have a chemokine called MCP-1, which again, we've talked about. MCP-1 and interleukin-6 can both be generated in those adipose tissues that are undergoing inflammatory response. And there could be multiple reasons for this. For example, uh, this can occur because of oxysterol incorporation into the adipose. It's only one way, but it's an important one. Okay. Now, when you get an increase in cytokine production in the adipose, uh, what that can lead to, because you're get, now getting a release of fatty acids into the serum, is you can then get an interleukin-1 beta expression increase in multiple cell lineages, not just in the adipose. And then that would uh, totally work to amplify a pro-inflammatory response. Once you have these circulating cytokines, IL-6, uh, MCP-1, uh, IL-1-beta, as I mentioned, that can then induce, once they're um, received by the liver, hepatocytes in the liver, to secrete CRP, which is C-reactive protein. And this is what you find in the serum. <clears throat> it's normally recognized as a pro-inflammatory biomarker, right? 
and in fact, CRP, increase in CRP, C-reactive protein, are well described for people suffering from type 2 diabetes, as well as metabolic syndrome, autoimmune responses and diseases, as well as a whole plenum of cardiovascular disorders. And what CRP does is it enhances disease progression because CRP, once it works through its receptor-mediated signal transduction, is turn on the NF-kappa-B pathway. And NF-kappa-B, remember, is the transcription factor for pro-inflammatory cytokines. Right? Now, this is happening in multiple cellular lineages, not just in T cells and, or in innate immune cells. Okay? Multiple cellular lineages, epithelia, endothelia, for example. So this gives us uh, a pause to think about the two uh, classes of inflammatory response, both of which can associate with something called the inflammasome which we talked about in the past, and we're going to talk about it today as well. So the two major generalized uh, inflammatory responses are either chronic, which is typically associated with obesity, or acute, which often is associated with an infection or some kind of ischemia or lesion, right, or cellular damage. So the acute inflammation is almost always with an infection, either with a bacterium, very common, such as a parasite, and then less common, a virus, but also, as I said, any kind of uh, injury. And the inflammation itself will involve certain immune cell lineages. One of the first that are described are the polynuclear neutrophils. Uh, and these neutrophils are the first ones that show up at a site of infection. Um, and what you get there at that tissue bed is swelling, an increase in heat, and the damaged tissue then responds by triggering a pro-inflammatory response, first through eicosanoid production, then pro-inflammatory cytokines like IL-6 and IL-1-beta, and then a full-blown damage to the tissue, which can include necrotosis, ferritosis, apoptosis, or or sometimes an arrest of full programmed cell death and leading into autophagy, which can also be detrimental to the cell lineages if it is indeed a major mechanism is to control the inflammatory response, right? Now, this all works through when you're talking about polynuclear uh, neutrophils and polynucleolar uh, neutrophils you're talking about the activation of TLRs. And of course, when you turn on a toll-like receptor, what you get uh, downstream from that is the production of pro-inflammatory cytokines, and as I said, the eicosanoids, such as prostaglandins. You also get an increase in a specific lipid called PAF, which is platelet activating factor. And then the inflammasome complex can form the CRP levels continue to increase, and the transcription factor NF-kappa-B is itself transcribed and turns on this full explosion of pro-inflammatory cytokine production. Now, usually, when you get good tight control over this, that inflammatory response is resolved because whatever tissues get compromised by that inflammation self-destruct via apoptosis. But you also get 
because of T regulatory cells, a neutralization of the pro-inflammatory cytokine producing cells because Treg cells cause them to shut down. You also get programmed cell death signals to certain cellular lineages to block them and then destroy them from producing more inflammation. And this is basically how neutrophils are cleared out of the serum, okay? Because they, they have a very short half-life. And once they have done their initial duty to find an infection or find a tissue damage uh, location or locus, the next thing they do <laughs> is they signal that this has occurred through their toll-like receptors to generate those initial uh, pro-inflammatory uh, cytokines and the trafficking associated chemokines so that acquired immune cells and other innate immune cells can traffic to that location. But at the same time, those neutrophils are going to be uh, destroyed because if they are maintained at a high level of activation, that's you can get a very dangerous hyperimmune response, which can lead to high levels of morbidity and even death, right? This is something like what occurs during sepsis, for example. Now, usually that whole um, repeal or resolution of the inflammatory response when you have an infection will last a couple, two, three days. That's when a person feels really sick, quote unquote. Um, that's when you get a lot of um, pain and where you, there, there is a headache. Sometimes it's generated. The fever goes up. The whole body is... Um, ill for a couple of days while this inflammatory response resolves itself. But if that doesn't resolve itself, that's when you get into, again, a life-threatening life situation. Now, chronic inflammation is different. Chronic inflammation, of course, means it's on for a very long period of time. And it is usually triggered because of Issues with homeostasis, and that homeostasis can often be associated with hyperlipidemia. Too much lipid in the blood associated with adipose tissue that is itself compromised because of inflammation, all of which comes from, yes, obesity. Okay? Obesity, then, is the chronic human disease, which has been on the rise ever since the late 1990s. Now it is full-blown pandemic worldwide. Obesity is really at the core of almost all the major chronic diseases that can lead to a high level of morbidity throughout the lifespan. Whenever a person becomes obese and then onwards all the way to death, and those diseases we're talking about span uh, from one end of the spectrum to the other, from mild conditions, which um, cause inflammation of joints, or sometimes uh, a mild steatosis, for example, in a certain tissue, sometimes mild hepatitis or pancreatitis, all the way to full-blown cardiovascular disease. And yes, the multiple types of cancers are also linked to this, particularly if you look at the etiology of liver damage. You can start off with a non-alcoholic fatty liver that can lead to hepatosteatosis where you're starting to get an inflamed liver. You get an increase in 
uh, fibrosis because of that, which means the liver is no longer functioning as it should be because you're making fibrocytes, not hepatocytes. These fibrocytes also will contribute to the pro-inflammatory response. Ultimately, that can lead to um, a very severe uh, non-alcoholic steatohepatitis or NASH, and the NASH sometimes, unfortunately, leads directly to hepatocellular carcinoma, and that is a major disease that is associated uh, as an end um, sequelae to chronic inflammatory disorders in the body. And the liver, of course, is a major organ. If you lose uh, uh, any kind of functioning of the liver, the whole body is going to suffer from it, and this will lead to other further um, tissue damage and higher morbidities. This can last a decade, 20 years, even 30 years of a person's life, and it's exacerbated by maintaining an obesogenic state. Okay, and we've talked a lot about this, I know, in, in um, lecture. So again, chronic inflammation is directly related to obesity, and that has to do with a sedentary lifestyle and with an in, uh, too much uh, intake of a calorically dense diet, right? And that is unfortunately um, a sequelae that's been leading to this major chronic disease known as obesity. It also short, it shortens the life, if that has not already been made clear, and also accelerates aging, it accelerates aging, none of which is good because aging itself is a chronic disease, right? That we've talked a great deal about uh, here in authentic biochemistry. So um, you also can get certain tissues which become inflamed and stay inflamed. This can be the lung. This can be the liver. As I said, it can be the pancreas. It can also be the pericardium or the myocardium. And this can often go undetected for a long period of time until maybe Someone goes in for blood work and uh, they get a panel done looking for pro-inflammatory biomarkers. They pick up CRP, maybe they pick up MCP1, maybe they pick up some pro-inflammatory cytokines like IL-6 or IL-1 beta. And then maybe after endoscopy or some other kind of maybe uh, procedure or even a scan can lead to uh, a determination for a pathology in a solid organ. And this is then you're on your way to dealing with um, pharmacotherapy or sometimes surgery to be able to ameliorate that. This is unfortunately a common sequence of events for people that get obese when they're younger and they continue to stay obese through their lifespan. You're going to have ahead of you a series of major diseases. And those diseases are, again, um, if they're not actually causally directly related to obesity, they are highly correlated to obesity. All right. That whole, it's a tremendous stress on the system. All right. I think I made that pretty clear. Um, so chronic inflammation can result from any, from, from what, I, what, what follows. Chronic inflammation is basically a failure of eliminating any, uh, say, organic compound that will cause an acute inflammation. And that can be, of course, not being able to resolve an infection. Um, so uh, bacteria is the most common. 
uh, but also protozoan, fungi, other parasites, and yes, even viruses. So an exposure to low levels of a particular irritant, now this can be an abiotic source or a xenobiotic, if you want to call it that, or it could again be just foreign material that irritates, say, the lining of the lung, such as cigarette smoking, right? Um, if that doesn't get resolved again, if that inflammatory response doesn't get re resolved by removing those cells that have been damaged, um, and then whatever's occurring intracellularly is enzymatically removed, if it's an organic compound that can be metabolized, let's say by a P450, monooxygenase, and then whatever fragments of, let's say, cellular debris or organic compound degree uh, um, um, can be removed by phagocytosis, if that doesn't happen, then you increase the potential for intracellular inflammatory responses, right? So any autoimmune disorder in which the immune system recognizes a normal component of the body is also going to be associated with this. And if you if you notice, if, if the immune response notices host or self as itself a foreign agent, you'll get then an autoimmune disorder. <clears throat> a very common one is rheumatoid arthritis. I'm sure you've also heard of lupus. Right? And, that, and, and lupus can lead to systemic lupus erythematosus, or SLE, and this is a major pro-inflammatory autoimmune response. So a defect in cells responsible for mediating inflammation can also lead to chronic inflammatory responses, and this has to do with alterations in transcription factor expression, for example, in dendritic cells, in macrophages, uh, in basophils and eosinophils, we're talking about allergic responses, and of course also in the uh, lymphocytic uh, cells, such as T cells in particular. If T cells are turned on inappropriately and they are continually generating proinflammatory cytokines, this can lead to an autoinflammatory disorder uh, that will uh, only be corrected if all of those immune cell lineages are turned down by, say, T regulatory cell trafficking into those uh, uh, particular tissues. And if that doesn't occur to a significant degree and you don't get energy of, say, a T cell response or you don't get programmed cell death because of a death ligand binding directly to those T cells, which unfortunately tumors are real good at doing, so killing T cells when you have a tumor is not good, but killing T cells when you have an autoimmune disease is a good thing, right? The same mechanism is always there. And the poise of that mechanism that will tip to the uh, whatever range is, if you, if you have a, an active tumor and you don't have a good T cell response, the tumor will cause the major disease. But if you have no tumor, but you have a high level of T cell mediated pro-inflammatory cytokine production that is in circulation and going to multiple tissues in the body, then you're going to have a hyperimmune response leading to an autoimmune disease. You see, So that is the axis of morbidity, which can lead to uh, very uh, um, undesirable consequences, right? Now, another thing to think about with chronic inflammation is when you get recurrent 
acute inflammatory responses because you're constantly exposed to pathogens, for example, like bacteria, um, or even um, inorganic compounds, xeno, xenobiotics they're called, and, and also um, drugs. So drugs, uh, including cannabis, and, and other illicit drugs. Cannabis is no longer considered an illicit drug, but illicit drugs, the overuse of illicit drugs can also induce a chronic inflammatory response for reasons that I talked about in previous lectures because of a corruption in the neuroendocrine system and the vagus nerve, which are directly linked to um, drug interactions systemically. And when the drug interaction becomes frail or becomes corrupted because of overuse of drugs, either pharmacologically derived drugs, that is because of some disorder a person has, or drugs of recreation, and including, of course, alcohol, which is a major neurotoxin and can lead to all of these diseases <coughs> that are become chronic and high morbid and can lead to early death. So these are the things that occur. So you can get, and also you can get secondary infections when you have chronic inflammation. And these include things like tuberculosis and rheumatoid arthritis, which we've been, we've been talking about. You also can link um, remitting, relapsing multiple sclerosis. Add that to the menu of a hyper pro-inflammatory autoimmune response. Right? This is, of course, the degradation of the myelin sheath which leads to neurological issues, neuroendocrine issues, and then metabolic issues, which can lead, to, again, to high morbidity and also death. So obesity, remember what obesity is. It's a diet-associated inflammatory disorder that is directly linked to, highly correlated to malfunction in biochemical pathway regulation. So all of the canonical pathways that we've talked about in authentic biochemistry um, can come to mind. Electron transport chain mediated um, reduction of molecular oxygen to water, the proton pumping across the intermitochondrial membrane and ATP synthesis. That could be corrupted by any one of a number of hyperinflammatory responses, as can a glycolytic pathway or beta oxidation or the tricarboxylic acid cycle, or all the macromolecular and anabolic pathways, such as DNA synthesis, um, DNA recombination, and also DNA repair can become faulty because of an increase in mutations or epimutations associated with reactive oxygen, all of which could be linked directly to obesity. Right? So you see how this keeps on coming back to the same core of problems. Now, there are, there are autoimmune diseases and there are plenty of morbidities that are either causally linked to etiologic agents such as parasites, bacteria, and viruses that also will induce similar responses. But the obesity is one that's directly linked to lifestyle and to the excessive overconsumption of calories and sometimes specific calories in particular, certain carbohydrates like sucrose, which work directly to deregulate glycolysis and fatty acid metabolism uh, in the cell where they are compromised by high levels of sucrose intake. 
And we've also talked about that in authentic biochemistry. And um, we will do that again. But right now, we'll just make it as a statement, right? So beyond that, you get, again, a lot of free radicals. You get a lot of reactive oxygen. You get the neuroendocrine system becoming um, dysregulated. And also, you develop resistance to the neuroendocrine hormones. Uh, and also, you, you get resistance to pancreatic hormones such as insulin and glucagon and somatostatin, right? And also intestinal hormones and gut hormones, ghrelin from the stomach or CCK8 from the small intestine. And all of this resistance to these neuroendocrine hormones further leads to the potentiation of a pro-inflammatory response. And all of that, again, can be directly linked to obesity. It's not the only thing that can cause it, but it is highly correlated when it is in existence as an existential threat to the um, human homeostasis. You also get advanced glycation end products. These are called AGEs. You get lipoprotein oxidation, that is oxysterols increased, and that can cause atherosclerosis. And again, directly free fatty acid release lipotoxicity, which we have already introduced. So I'm going to leave you with that. Um, discussion of lipid metabolism and pathobiochemistry associated with free fatty acids, how we started out, and then how obesity is linked to generate increases in free fatty acid and circulation, which can corrupt membranes and thus induce cellular um, manifestations of dysregulation that can lead to pro-inflammatory cytokine and eicosanoid production. Dr. Dan Guerra, Authentic Biochemistry, saying bye for now.